Long Beach Sermons, visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Brenna Rubio, and I am one of the pastors here at City Church of Long Beach, where we are a radically welcoming community on the journey towards Jesus. Um, though we're so happy for all of our friends who are joining us online, we do just have to take a second, especially for anyone who is new here this morning, just to give a little orientation, particularly to the bathrooms here in person, because we are in an elementary school, so it sometimes can be a little confusing. There is a bathroom right through this door behind you, kind of up the little stairs there. There's one bathroom there. And then over here, where you see that kind of, it's not a color, but orange sand. Uh, there are two bathrooms over there. What we do ask you to notice as you're walking in is how there is a deadbolt that is actually keeping it open so it doesn't automatically lock. Just look at it, and that's what you're going to recreate when you come out so that other people can use the bathroom too. I know we can do it. Uh, yeah, we are so just delighted to be here this morning spending time together, spending time with God, uh, and we are wrapping up a series that we have been in for a little while called What is Church? Uh, because it's actually kind of a big question. So to help us lean into our last time on that this morning, I think Bill has a little game for the kiddos. Yes, yes, we we do. We this is this is family, this is family culture bingo. This is an important game we're going to play today. Um, we we're going to be looking at how uh, the church through the ages has not always valued uh, cultural difference in our families. In fact, we've often uh, pushed those with difference to the side and. The church instead has loved what is quote unquote normal, has prized that. But in the scriptures, strangely, we see that's not the case. And God's heart has always been for this crazy diversity in the kingdom of God. And so we're going to play a little bit of family culture bingo today. And so we're looking. If there are any kids here who think that they have some cultural diversity, some nationality diversity in their parents and their grandparents and even their great grandparents, if you know your great grandparents. Um, so I'd love, and you, it can be older kids also. All right, so, uh, so we're going to take a, a couple of kids here. So uh, we're going to have a couple of volunteers um, who have some cultural or nationality diversity. Uh, and we can have a, a couple of volunteers. Uh, we're we're going to have some fun here to, to hear some stories. Um, uh, how about if a younger kid wants to come up Oh, that'd be fun. Yeah, like that's what I was going to say. <laughs> that's called mansplaining. In case you're wondering, looking for a definition of mansplaining. There, there you go. Uh, yeah, uh, Emma Nishimoto would be helpful. Yeah, please come on, come on down. Uh, and we, yeah, come on, come on down. Uh, do, we, do we have another volunteer uh, who hasn't been up here maybe in the last week? Uh, I see 
Uh, did, I, did I see someone raise a hand over here? Maybe, no. I see Ty Diaz and his father, Jojo. Oh, yeah. There you go. Come on now. Come on now. All right, we're gonna we're gonna start with two today. That's totally fine. All right. All right. Emma, you wanna you wanna kick us off today? Yeah. yeah come on. In. All right. Tell us a little bit. Um, what what kind of divert like what, what kind of nationalities, cultural diversity do you have? On your grandparents or great grandparents? Hi, Ichan is Japanese and like Japanese, like were they born in Japan? They were not born in Japan. Were their parents born in Japan? That would be a yes. And how about on your Grandmother's side, were they born in in the Netherlands? No. Were their parents born in the Netherlands? Yes. <laughs> You're very good at reading signals. So you've got, I'm guessing there were probably some other nationalities born in there too. So you've got some cultural diversity there. Do you celebrate, do you know, like any Dutch stuff or any Japanese stuff that you guys do at home? Are there some pieces of that or is it just kind of flows in just kind of part of who you guys are yes. yeah there you go come on celebrate Emily Nishimoto. Oh, i love that thanks so much kid you're awesome all right kai you want to talk to us a little bit about uh tell, tell us just a little bit something about yourself and your family Your family name means volcano. Sonic. And Sonic. <laughs> now that's just, you know, that's going to be pretty hard to beat. <laughs> volcano and Sonic. And you want to tell us a little bit more about that, Jojo? Um, I, I know Sonic because I Sonic means fast, in case you were wondering. And you want to tell us a little bit more, Jojo? Kind of round that out. Okay. Um, well, Kai's grandparents. Uh, were born and raised in the Philippines. So you're what? Filipino? Part Filipino. And how about Mama? Do you know what Mama, where her parents are from? I'm not. Italian. Italian. And Norwegian. And where was your dad born and raised? <laughs> I was also born in the Philippines, but raised on Guam. So that's some like some texture. Yeah. We're having mic issues on Zoom, so I just want to let all the Zoom folks know that this cute young guy is named Kai. 
and he is part Filipino and part Italian, and he's awesome. Thank you. Sorry about the mic issues on Zoom, people. Give it up to Kai Kai. Oh, all right. And there is a lot more. And just even within this group, I mean, there is so much diversity here. Uh, thanks for a little family cultural bingo. Super fun. We could do this all day long with people here. Uh, and it's really actually a good time. We're going to invite up uh, Jamie Dunham, who is going to pray over the kids now. Uh, and we're going to use this microphone, not that. That microphone's not quite as happy. Thank you, Jamie Dunham. Okay, let's pray for our kids, okay? God, we thank you for all the kids here and all their families that they represent. Um, we ask for your safety and protection on them as they go back to school this year amidst all the craziness that they're getting used to. Um, we ask for lots of patience with their families. We pray for protection for their teachers and staff at school and also just lots of patience um, and grace. God, we ask that uh, they would be good learners, that they would be people of peace, that they would be good friends on their campuses. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Lucia. So we are in a sermon series. Today is the last day, and we've been looking at the book of 2 Timothy, which is a letter from this old guy, Paul, to his young sort of mentee, this guy who's been mentoring me. Timothy. And it's at the end of Paul's life and he's writing Timothy about, well, in some ways, about what does it mean to be church. And here we're reading the last couple of verses of the Bible, of, of this piece of the Bible. And it's all those verses that you, you kind of skip over when you read the letter because it's all the names. And it's hard to pronounce, um, and our friend Serena Backrew is going to read these verses, and she's not going to get them right, and I wouldn't get them right either, you're not going to get them right, it's fine. Because you skip over them anyway, but we're going to look at them, we're going to listen to them, and we're going to think about these people who were in the church. So, oh, by the way, kids get to... Um, kids can be dismissed and go hang out <laughs> over here with the kids if you want. Sorry about that. I think I was supposed to say that. Anything else I need to say about that? You got it. Kids have figured that out. Uh, but we're going to pay attention here because as we listen to these things, as we pay attention to these overlooked verses, we find we find something about the early church that we so often have missed in the centuries since then. So um, if you would welcome with me Serena Bakru as she reads scripture for us. And here at Seed Church, we like to stand as the scripture is read. And uh, at home on Zoom, you can stand if you want. You can stay seated at home because it's kind of weird to stand in your living room or your bedroom. Um, but you can if you'd like. So there you go. Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 19 through 21. Greek, Priscilla, and Achaia, and the household of one of Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus, sick and Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Jubilus agrees to you, and so do Prudence, Linus, 
Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. <laughs> well, God, this is the word of God. Thanks to God. <laughs> Maybe she, thanks so much. How'd she do? <laughs> I think you nailed it. Thank you, Dale. So, so uh, all the all the names here are Greek. We're we're just going to look at some of these names, and they're weird names. We don't really use a lot of them today. There there are few in here that we do. Priscilla, uh, do we have any Priscillas here? We we have one Priscilla come by City Church. And Claudia's. We do have one Timothy. At least one Timothy. Very near and dear to me. Uh, but uh, but as we think about these names, I want us to ponder. There's some there's some things we can learn about. First off. They come from different cultures. So Trophimus is from what's modern day Turkey. So is Erastus is from Rome, big city, kind of probably a fancy guy. Trophimus is from a, a big city in Turkey. These, these guys, this, this guy Aquila is from, from the backwoods of Turkey. So, so you've got the, the, the outback people, the big city people from, from Turkey, what's now modern day Turkey, and from the cosmopolitan city of Rome. These are different cultures. Right? This is from like Central Valley, California, and from Los Angeles. They're different cultures and, and they're, they're mixing. You have Greek Greeks or Roman Greeks. And then you also have people like, like uh, Aquila, it mentioned in, in the book of Acts that he's, he's Jewish, okay? But he's got a Greek name. So think, think about that. I'd be curious here, how many people here have a name on their birth certificate that's in a language different than the name you go by sort of generally now? So you have a name that your parents gave you, but you go by Jeff. William, or something like that. Does, does that make sense? Right? How, how, how many of us have a, a, a different name on our birth certificates? Right? A, a bunch of us, right? See, number, I mean, I'm, several of us are raising our hands. That's, that's a quilt, right? Yeah, I see. He's a bicultural person. And, he, and he's here in the scripture. And there's Paul, who's writing this letter, who's very Jewish. Like, he's super Jewish. 
And yet his name, his given name is not Paul. His given name is Saul. He's named after one of the kings of Israel. But he has this encounter with God and changes his name in order to reach people who were speaking a different language than him. He spoke three languages. He was, was trilingual. These so there's this multicultural thing going on in this passage. And so often we just overlook that. This is what the early church was like. And they recognized it. And then we get to Timothy himself. That's the guy that this letter is being written to. In the book of Acts, it points out very specifically that Timothy's mother was Jewish and Timothy's father was Greek. They were from two different continents. From two different continents. They spoke different languages. They had different cultures. And it goes out and lays out in that passage in Acts chapter 15 that they had very specific, different cultural practices. And it lays out what those different cultural practices were. And it specifically talks about how Paul chose Timothy and wanted to mentor Timothy because he realized how being biracial and bicultural was an advantage. It was a gift because he understood how to be a bridge person. He had certain advantages in the world that monocultural people did not have. That it's awesome to be biracial and bicultural. And that he was more bicultural than Paul himself. Paul, who grew up bicultural, trilingual, was not as, as multicultural as Timothy, who is literally biracial. Does that make sense? I mean, Paul was bicultural, but not as bicultural as Timothy, because Timothy was actually in the blood. And so, I mean, there, and there are all sorts of layers here. And some of us here today who are bicultural in the blood, sometimes we look at some some of our friends who maybe speak different languages that maybe have lived in different cultures but are not biracial and we feel like they have an advantage because they are more bicultural than we are, right? Because they have some sort of biculture that we don't have. I mean, there are layers here. I don't understand this. I'm like super monocultural, right? Like very plain Jane, right? Look, look at this. Look at this. Very plain Jane. I don't get this. But the Bible here is surfacing us. It's inviting us. He said, take a look. Wow, this is amazing. And yet through the centuries, the irony is that the church not only has tried to normalize the majority, 
not only has tried to kind of centralize and, and say, no, this is what should be, and sort of push to the side the rest, but it's actually actively discriminated against minority cultures, biracial people, different cultures. It's preposterous, but it's the way it's A few weeks ago, Bill actually sent around an article to some of us in the church that he had found by this awesome scholar named Willie James Jennings. And uh, it was about Timothy. And it was about really the blessings of being biracial that we can find just through the example of Timothy. And really just taking some time to, to lean in and to think. And, and one of the reasons I got this little article sent to me that some of you here got this little article sent to you was because I am part of a bicultural family. I'm the one white person in a Latinx family. And so I resonated with much of what was in the article, right? Where you say, hey, there is, there's a gift here because when you live at the intersection of different cultures, of different races, different identities, you're challenged and invited to ask yourself a different set of questions that others might not naturally come to. Like an example in my life would be asking the question, I can't remember when it came up for me, but why is it? Why is it that it matters so much more to me, thank you, that my kids truly embrace their Latinx identity, that it matters to me that they embrace their white identity. And there's no doubt that that has occurred recently within the last months. My son came up to me and he was talking a little bit about history and just kind of said, hey mom, you know, no offense, but I just want to let you know, I'm so glad I'm not white. Um, <laughs> and I said, son, no offense taken. I get it, you're a student of history. Um, yep, mouths of babes. Um, but why is that, right? Why is it? I have to ask myself that question. And the answer actually for me is very clearly, well, there's gonna be plenty in the culture that is gonna lift up the white aspect of my kid's identity. And there's still too little that is going to embrace and lift up the brown part of their identity. And so I know which one I wanna to lean towards consistently. But for many of you, you know, you're in similar places of questions of what does it mean? To be black, what does it mean to be Asian, Latinx? What does it mean to be human? I mean, ultimately, these really are questions for all of us. What Willie James Jennings sort of excavates, brings to light is that so often these identities for us often come in, in the nature of like their identity tests, their loyalty tests. What if there actually is a new way of seeing ourselves? There's a particular line that I really appreciated in the article where he says this, too much of Western life and all those sites touched by the legacies of colonialism are dogged by forms of belonging that narrow the possibilities of life lived in its fullness. Um, Bill, could you draw some pictures for me? All right, since I'm holding the microphone, this is gonna be easier. What I need first is a circle. 
because we're going to try and try and figure this out. And on Zoom, I think Joe's going to have some slides for you, so it'll be okay uh, that you won't be able to see this, uh, what we are drawing here in person. So there's a sense that there's a legacy of colonialism where forms of belonging are narrowed. And we're going to visualize that primarily in terms of a circle. And what a circle often shows us is a sense of there is us and there are others. There are people who are in and there are people who are out. And when we exist in kind of a, a tribal system like this, right, a lot of times there's a lot of anxiety if you're somebody who lives sort of in the margins, right? If, could somebody kick me out? Am I us enough, right? Because if I'm us enough, if I live towards the center where all the power is, that's where you get the goodies, right? And so there may be the sense of over and over and over again having to sort of prove your allegiance. But down here on the margins, where it gets a little bit more, more shaky, a little bit, do I fit? Am I us enough? It's a little bit more insecure, right? Here are the people who tend to be a little bit on the outside, maybe not quite, not completely. And what's so interesting for us is, as followers of Jesus is that this is usually where Jesus met people. He very rarely met people at the center of power. He liked to walk in the back ways. He liked to connect with the people who, who had been pushed to the margins of their culture, of their society. And so, yeah, those of you who are in power, those of you who sort of fit, if you want to come be with me, you're going to have to come be with me where I'm at, at the margins. For those of us who are bicultural, we tend to be at the margins of a couple different groups, right? And so, Bill, you could add a few different circles. We sort of fit in a few different places. Um, And what's awesome about the fact that Jesus is meeting us at the margins is that Jesus is still there in all those places. So you have Timothy with his bicultural background, you have Paul, all these different, I'm, I'm Jewish and I'm, I'm a Roman citizen. And for some of us that were white and we're Latinx, we're black and we're Asian, all of these places, like Jesus actually meets us there. This is actually the invitation of the church. And when we meet Jesus in these spaces, it's not a letting go. It's not a having to reject. So often the church has gotten this wrong. There's a sense of, well, I'm just, I'm no longer black. I'm like a child of Christ, right? Like, why would you have to do that? Why can't we say, no, Jesus meets you there in your blackness. Jesus meets you here in your whiteness, your complicated identities, whatever they are. Jesus meets you right there in this place of overlap and says, yes, this actually is where the good stuff is found, where we're no longer trying to protect our power, but we're just able to come say, I bring all the gifts of my heritage, all the gifts of my identity, all the gifts of my culture, but I'm not going to bring with me the tendency to want to dominate. I'm not going to bring with me, I'm not going to accept here forces of domination. Now, this is going to be a place where we all bring our gifts and we exist together in beloved community. And so this diversity that we find in the person of Timothy, the diversity that some of us find in our families or in our daily being, the diversity that we experience as a community 
coming from all sorts of different backgrounds and cultures and races. That's actually a picture of what heaven is supposed to be. This is a picture of everyone gathered with Jesus, a new way, every tribe, tongue, and nation present, a new creation, a new expression of shalom, not dominant, not diminished, integrated, together, celebrate. I'd like to invite our friend Lisa Garcia to come up and share a little bit about her story. Thank you so much for your courage and showing up. It's so fun. Um, so, Lisa, how long have you been around? You've been around City Church a long time now, right? Yeah, about two months now. Yeah, so you're kind of a long timer here. Yeah, <laughs> I guess, yeah. I like it. Yeah, we, yeah. So sorry about that for just dragging you up after being here only two months, but what, what can you do? Um, so thanks for being here. So tell us a little bit about your journey. So so you're clearly Latinx because your last name is Garcia, right? Absolutely. I did have a lot. <laughs> that and Filipino, actually. <laughs> right, but you're not. Next right. Your husband, he's a actually a white guy. A, a very white looking Latinx guy. <laughs> so hilarious. Um, but uh, anyway, so tell us a little bit. So tell us about your grandparents, kind of their national origins, and then tell us a little bit what it was like growing up with your kind of cultural mix and what was that like? Okay, um, my grandparents, my mom is Korean. So my mother, my grandparents, generations, uh, mostly Korean, uh, recently learned uh, because of the ancestry, there's some Japanese in it as well. Um, my father is multicultural, so my father is predominantly Black, uh, regionally African, uh, obviously through the Straits of in this way. Um, my grandparents, uh, because of the ancestry, mostly Malaysian, Nigerian, uh, yeah, English, Scottish, Irish, Island and uh, most surprisingly, Norwegian. So I'm all those. Um, <laughs> I have a son. I uh, my first husband was Mexican, so my son is all those things a Mexican, and he married a Japanese woman from Japan. So my grandchildren are all that and Japanese. <laughs> there you go. That's my, that's my basis. I was born in Baltimore, Maryland. Moved uh, from the East Coast here to the West Coast, so that's a whole different cultural thing as well. That's a little bit about my cultural background. So, growing up, you and your sister, uh, you guys were the only biracial kids. What, what was that like in terms of being with your cousins? What would people say to you guys? And how was that? What, what was that like growing up biracial? So um, for many years before we moved out to California, we were only with the black half of my family and we are the only biracial, uh, multiracial kids in our black side of the family. So we stood out. If you look at uh, any of our pictures when we were young, we have all these black kids and these two little white kids in the middle and like, who are they? Um, and we got that a lot from uh, family. They didn't know who we belonged to, so um, we stood out. But um, also, as we moved out to California, we then became the California people, or we the white kids over there, but we're not white. Well, 
part of what we are as white, but it was just how we were seen in that part of the family. Um, and then in the Korean side, um, my sister and I don't speak Korean, unfortunately, but the rest of our family does. And we're actually the eldest uh, grandchildren on that side of the family. So it was a whole new learning experience for that side of the family. And, and luckily for us, my grandmother who sent the house was very open and welcoming of my father. So it made it a little bit easier for the rest of the family to then accept us as well. Uh, and so kids in school were pretty nice to you all along, being biracial or um, not so much? We were really fortunate. We really didn't have a lot of uh, racial challenges in school. However, we got a lot of what are you? Um, because we certainly didn't look like uh, the majority of the kids in our school. We went to predominantly Caucasian schools just based on the neighborhoods we grew up in. So we got a lot of what are you, what does that mean? Um, it was before Korean culture was really uh, known and accepted, especially through food and music. So um, it was a lot of explaining. And at first, you know, you were offended with me. But, uh, I mean, it's just like, uh, <laughs> no way. Right. That's okay. Yeah, and let's, I mean, let's just take a moment to think, what are and obviously, this is not the only person here who's got that question. Why do we just keep that? This is human. So tell us what what are the gifts? Tell us just. As you as you reflect, if you've seen God's favor on your life in this area, what are some of the gifts? Um, well, now looking back, I think that one of the gifts that I was in school, I didn't fit the mold. Um, growing up, you just want to be like everyone else. But now reflecting back, I, I appreciate and uh, embrace my differences. Um, what it has done is made me really curious. I'm curious about other cultures and their foods and why they do things like that. And, you know, what I can learn from them to bring in and make a part of my own culture, especially like I mentioned, you know, Adam's Mexican. And there's a lot of things I find interesting about the Mexican culture that we have now incorporated into our family and made that our culture. And we do that with a lot of things with foods. Uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas at our house, we have tamales and we have kimchi you know it's that that's our family christmas you know so um and that's kind of how it is with everything and then my mom comes over and now she knows how to make tamales and it's crazy to see a korean lady making tamales but you know, that's what she does you know and the person who actually carried the Tamale tradition on was adam's mom who's white with german swedish ancestry so it's like um it's just made me appreciate my family that much more it's made me want to share my family stories with others and also learn other people's family stories and ask the questions and one of my favorite things to do and our favorite thing to do is go to different restaurants and ask the person who's there what should we eat and have them explain to us what's good and be willing to try everything and learn their stories and when they came here how long they've been here and it's really helped me also in my profession as a nurse to be able to make myself curious and learn about my patients and, and help maybe in a cultural sense because there's something they don't want to share with you and they're really afraid because of the trust and just to open yourself and make yourself vulnerable to them. It's really been a blessing. 
God said, it is good. Ah, so beautiful. Would you thank God for Lisa Garcia? Amazing. I, uh, I especially appreciated the story about the tamales. Uh, that's hard, guys. I don't know if you've ever tried, but it takes some effort. Uh, we have another person who's going to be sharing stories with us this morning uh, uh, about their experiences. And because of that, I think Bill and I are going to go a little quicker through this next section. But we actually want to illustrate and, and kind of draw out some of the ways there are other kinds of diversity in this at the surface. It's just kind of one of those boring sections of names, right? But when we dig a little deeper, we go like, oh, there's some good stuff here. Um, and so ways that we find diversity, ways that we find Jesus meeting us at the margins and centering us as a community through the margins, it's not just about culture. It's not just about race. One of the other things that we really see diversity in this list of names, it's actually in family structures. I don't know if you guys have ever been in churches like this, uh, but in some churches, there can be a feeling of like, if you are not, um, you know, part of a heterosexual couple with 2.2 kids, um, you're you're a second-class citizen, you know, or you're just kind of not fully grown up yet, right? You just kind of haven't haven't gotten to that level. But don't worry, maybe you'll get there someday. Let's pray. Um, that's actually amazingly not what we see in this passage. Out of this this big list of names. Four of them are single folks. In fact, two of the primary leaders. So Linus, Timothy, Paul, Claudia, all single and not second-class citizens. Leaders, fully integrated into the life of the church, critical to the life of the church. There is a married couple, a heterosexual married couple, Priscilla and Aquila. Did you guys ever get taught at school uh, that when you, you know, write down the names of the couple, a heterosexual couple, whose name goes first, husband or wife? Husband. That was a naming convention back then too, right? Patriarchy and, you know, it's centuries and millennia. Um, that's not what Paul writes. He writes Priscilla and Aquila. He puts the wife's name first. And he actually doesn't just do it once. He does it six times over the course of his letters. Because Priscilla is actually the leader, apparently, in this couple. In this really small, subtle way, Paul is just over and over again flipping the norms to say he recognizes Priscilla's leadership. And he's totally just upending. He doesn't always do this. We can be honest, and I know some of you, if you've done a little reading in the Bible, you're like, Paul's not my favorite. <laughs> yeah. Right? I, I, I have some issues with Paul. I know some of you are feeling that. I get it. I get it. But here's one of the places where he names it. He says, yeah, these people, these are co-ministers in the gospel. And, you know, Priscilla's a little more co than the other. Right? <laughs> it's what's there in the text. I didn't write it. And then we have this last person, a household, a family. And Paul only names one parent, Onisiphorus. I think Serena did it better than me. Um, we don't actually know. Is Onisiphorus married? Is he a single parent? 
We're not sure. It's an empty or an open question. But isn't it intriguing to think maybe there's a single parent on this list? Bill, you have some thoughts you want to add? Yeah, we thought we'd have the uh, the straight cisgender guy with two kids address this issue. <laughs> the local expert on non-normative families. <laughs> um, no, I, I just think this is the outworking, the practical outworking of what we talked about, this idea of Jesus' radical welcoming. Jesus is radically welcoming. And when it comes to families, non-normative families are radically welcomed in the kingdom of God. Radically welcomed. So step-parenting, co-parenting, single families, singles, two moms, what? I mean, all kinds of gender, non-whatever the norm is supposed to be. These, these are the passages you go to and you just say, well, welcome to the church. Welcome to the church. Welcome to church leaders who look a lot different than what the church in power through the ages has done, who's excluded those who are on the margins. The church that loves to stay right here has pushed the, the, the church that loves to be in the center has pushed people to the margins. Jesus has gone to the center. I mean, no, Jesus has gone to the margins and has pulled everyone from the margins to himself. Jesus has welcomed the trans community. Jesus has, has welcomed every kind, I mean, every kind of person that that the church is excluded. And says, come walk. Let's be human together. Let's flourish. It doesn't mean he doesn't call out people and says, look, that's not flourishing. Now you're you're wounding people. It doesn't mean there's no truth in the world. There's no, sure, you can wound people all, all kinds of ways. But I, I'm just not convinced that sexual orientation and gender identity is, is much a part of that, at least according to this passage. Thank you. Um, would you welcome our friend Wendy Cantrell up because she's going to share a little of her story this morning. And we have to be like extra kind to Wendy because she just dropped her daughter off at college like 24 hours ago, maybe less. And, you know, that is quite the transition. So whew, thanks for being willing to talk with us well this morning, despite all the, all the change swirling. Would you tell us just a little bit like how you came to City Church and how long? 
Um, we came, my daughter and I, in his arms this morning, um, came to City Church about a year ago. Um, we had been the most liberal people in a conservative church, decided to take the COVID break as an opportunity to move churches, ask a friend for a, re a referral to a church that was racially diverse because my daughter is Chinese and also was LGBTQ friendly. So here we are. <laughs> so, so good. And we're glad that you are here with us. Uh, and you started out watching on video, right? Or kind of yeah. like on Zoom, sort of you go back and like watch later. Yeah. 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 We did that for about three months before Bill called us out. So. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm going to pass you the mic in a minute because you have so many stories and I want to make sure everybody can hear you. But um, yeah, just tell us what it was like. You had sort of a, you were in the church for many years as a single person and a leader, and then you became a single parent in the church. Just what was that like for you? Well, I've gone to many churches growing up uh, as a grown up. Um, I've been to seven churches and some have done it really well and some have done not so well. Um, it was as a single person in my 20s and 30s, the goal was to get me into the singles group so I could meet somebody and be married. Was that your goal or was it the church's goal? That was the church's goal. Um, I actually had a man, I'm, I'm an attorney, I had a man tell me that I shouldn't go to law school because no man would want to marry an attorney. And I said, I don't want to marry a man who wouldn't support me in my professional goals. So, um, it was, and, and I joined one church where they said, here, go be in the singles group. And I said, no, I want to do ministry. And they said, well, you should go join the singles group. And I said, no, really, I won't be here that long. I've done that before. I don't want to join the singles group. And they said, well, you know, the college group, they're looking for staff. You could maybe go there. And so it ended up with me, four couples, it was fantastic. It was really where I was supposed to be, but I had the fight to go and be part of that ministry because I did not have that ring on my finger. And that was hard. Um, I found that over and over again that they just, you know, there's a singles group, a marriage group, and this is what you're supposed to do. Um, I think that's gotten better in the last couple of decades as people have not married as young, which is, I think, in some ways a very good thing. Um, but I remember this one women's conference I went to, and I was in my early 30s by then. And they did the morning session, everybody was together, and then the afternoon came, and they said, well, we're going to have the older married women over here, the newly married and engaged women here, and those who are just starting out are going to be in this group over here. At the time, I was an attorney. I owned my own house. I was actually in seminary getting my master's divinity. And the topic was going to be two married women telling us why we should abstain from sex until we're married. I left the retreat. It was just like, okay, this is not, this is not in any way helpful to me. And why is it that I am supposed to go and hang out with people who are 10 years younger than me? Um, as I got older, I became a single mom. Um, I'm a little bit different than most single moms in that I definitely planned to be a single mom. I adopted my daughter. There's no 
dad involved. My church was extremely supportive of my adoption. Um, gave me a shower. A few months later, a single woman got pregnant in our church and there was controversy over whether to give her a baby shower. Now I will tell you, she was 22, I was 38. I was a professional, I owned my own home, I had planned it. The person who needed the baby shower was not me. It was the 23-year-old single woman who was still willing to come to church. Um, and they decided to do the shower, but there were some people who did not come because that was not acceptable. Um, when I went to my last church, my daughter was about four, and um, at that point, they were trying to figure out, well, what group? I just said, can I go to this group, this family fellowship group? Because I need to bring my daughter with me. <laughs> you know, can't do that to a single group of much older than everybody then. They weren't sure. So, and that was a great group. It was, they welcomed me in as the years went by, we welcomed other singles in. The last, when I was, last couple of years that we met, it was four married couples, four singles. Some of us had kids, some didn't. And it was great. And there was no limitation on what I did in ministry. Um, because they got past this idea that I had to have a husband in order to be a grown up. I was allowed to be at the big kids' table. And I, I sometimes joke that Susanna is a great equalizer because once I had her, they need to accept me as a grown up because I had a child. Okay, Wendy, so tell us if you like were going to give advice to, like, say, a group of pastors and church leaders, like, two things, like, keep this in mind and it could do it so much better. What would those two things be? See people as individuals. Don't try and put them in a box um, and look at what their gifts are and support them in using those gifts. So good. Would you guys thank Wendy for my This morning, friends, if, if that's what you take, that you are seen, you're individuals, your God sees you. Your community sees you. Jesus meets you where you are, and you bring so much richness to this community, and we are so grateful for you. Our friend Abby Nishimoto.